Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired NYPD sergeant with 27 years of service. And with me tonight is my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? Doing pretty good, Billy. You know, we're going to do a recap tonight on some of the biggest cases that we uh, featured on this show in 2021. And that doesn't mean we're going to take a deep dive. We're just going to go into them a little bit and remind you guys what we covered in uh, in 2021. But first, let's go to the Police Off the Cuff theme song. It's a show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes. Even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff. One episode just saying enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. It's maybe the best thing you can do. Hello, folks. You know, one of the biggest cases we covered this year, and it's still an open case and it's still a tragic case, and that's the case of the missing girl, Summer Wells, a five-year-old girl who's been missing since June 15th. There apparently hasn't been any um, any movement in the case. I'm just going to go to a quick, uh, a quick video we have on the case that we, we, they just put out uh, talking about the case investigation. Summer Wells has dominated headlines in our region and caught the attention of people across the country. Tonight, Summer is still missing. The case began as an endangered child alert issued by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation back on June 15th. The next day, TBI elevated that to an Amber Alert. And now, more than six months later, the Amber Alert is still active. In recent months, people have met to search for Summer and to pray for her return. You know, Phil... So much has been done with this case, and uh, so much searching. The FBI's involved, the TBI, the Hawkins, Town, uh, Hawkins County Police. And as far as we know, there's been no real developments in this case. And this case is really, um, it's a, a sad case in so many different ways. And I always felt, and I still feel to this day, uh, that the parents are involved, that Don and Candace Wolves. They know something. And I feel that I felt that right in the beginning. And I still feel that. And I think that perhaps I, I, in the beginning, I thought that they potentially could have um, been the ones that, that, that killed her. But what I'm thinking is that potentially Candace Wells may uh, know who, who took her or act potentially given her child to someone to keep the, the child away from Don Wells. And that's my theory right now. I have no specific evidence other than my a hunch and my investigative experience to point to that. What are your feelings, Phil? Wow. That's a change, Billy. I'm a little bit, uh, a little bit surprised by that, but uh, listen, um, 
you know, as things develop, obviously, uh, you go in the direction that's most likely going to take you to the, uh, you know, to the path that's going to solve the case. And just a quick uh, rundown, June 15, 1830, she's reported missing by the parents. Extension search begins. Uh, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, as well as the FBI and the local police join in, in the investigation. Amber Alerts, et cetera. Uh, Candace and Don do multiple media interviews, obviously with a bad look. Uh, apparently either drunk or intoxicated on drugs or some, some substances. Uh, later on during the uh, investigation in July 27th, which was about a month and a half later, the other children in the home were removed. Uh, we had actually called for that on our show. And uh, within a few days or a week or so of us talking about it, sure enough, lo and behold, they were removed. Um, I think that there is definitely some culpability on Candace's part, uh, almost I would say 99% based on the way she acted on uh, several interviews. We don't have the uh, inside track on a lot of the information that was uh, done, uh, you know, with regard to the actual case folder, but uh, what the results of different uh, pieces of evidence may be, electronic surveillance, different things like that, telephone information. So without knowing that, we're only going on based on what we see. And she did some things in interviews that led us to believe she knows about the whereabouts of Little Summer. Hopefully, with the help of God, she could still be alive. I think uh, you're coming off of your original thing and going on to that. That just shows that you're open-minded, Bill. I think that's uh, the way you have to be in these type of investigations because you never know when one door is going to shut and another door is going to open. Phil, let me just play a little bit of this. is the famous interview uh, that was shown early on in the investigation that led almost everyone to think that uh, – there was some fugaziness in this case and that specifically it seemed like Don and Candace were not being truthful. This property by herself or off this yard by her swing. I feel in my heart that somebody has came up here and took her and has lured her away from here. Me and my mother and her were planting flowers and we went in after we got done washing our hands and she got a piece of candy from grandma and she wanted to go back over and see her brothers. And I said, okay. And I walked her all the way over to the porch and I watched her walk into the kitchen where the boys were watching. And I told the boys, I said, watch summer. I'll be back. And within two minutes I came back and I asked the boys where their sister was. And they said, she went downstairs, mom, to play with her toys in the playroom. I said, okay. And I yelled downstairs for her a couple times, and I didn't get no answer, which was unusual because usually she always answers me. And so I went down there to check, and she was nowhere in sight. She was just gone. I don't go on walks around here or runs because I'm scared of the bears and snakes and even the coyotes that are around here. Well, whoever has my daughter, I pray and hope that they have not harmed her and they bring her back to us safe and sound. Just turn, I mean, go to the FBI, the police, and uh, clear it up. I mean, I don't know. It seems kind of elusive. It's really strange that I've never seen this truck, and I've never heard of it until just recently. But I wish they would come forward and explain themselves. Hey, Bill, could you stop it there one second, please? Forward and say. I think 
you might be onto something, Bill, because that would explain her calmness in explaining all of this. And she said, I hope whoever has my daughter, you know, like she almost like a pre foregone conclusion that she knows someone has a daughter. You might really be onto something, Bill. Well, right from the beginning, they spoke sometimes in past tenses, just yes. their whole, they just didn't seem believable to me. And, you know, look, six months later, they're not changing their story. Uh, you know, a lot of law enforcement agencies and a lot of folks, they, they always point to the lie detector test. I don't give a shit about lie detector test. I've never ever used a lie detector test on the NYPD. My detectives were the lie detectors, and they figured out who was lying and who wasn't. We didn't need that stupid test because it proves nothing, and it really you can't, it's not admissible. Let me just play a little more of this, and we'll get back What's to talking. She was a tomboy. I shaved my head. She wanted to have her head shaved like me and the boys did. She tried to shave her head. She tried in to the shave back her head and, and make it. Uh, I think you can see it in some of the pictures. And it was getting out of control, so she, we decided to shave her head off and let it grow back long. And she shaved her head to, to so she wouldn't feel bad. And uh, but, but it didn't bother her at this point. Well, we knew I knew right away that she was abducted. You know, I knew that right away, and that's what I told them from the beginning. But they have to. They have to go through their, you know, I forget the word. Investigation. They have to do one step at a time, I guess. But I'm sorry that they had to spend so many man hours in these woods and everything. I've seen them limping and everything else, you know, and I feel for them. But I just wish there was a way that neighbors could search neighbors' houses. And then if they're not willing you know, get a search warrant or something, but there's just no way you can search every single house, you know, in the Eastern United States or whatever. But I wish there was a way. Just thankful for the person or persons that's doing that, you know, out of love, trying it. trying to get information and trying to get her found. And we thank them from the bottom of our hearts. It means a lot. And we thank uh, everybody who's trying so hard and praying so hard. And she's an awesome young lady, and uh, we just want her back. You know, when you know uh, this investigation and the history of it, when they look into Don's background, he's uh, been arrested numerous times. He has a history of sexual sexually abusing his own sisters. Um. He's, he was arrested for uh, drunken driving shortly th after this. Um, Candace also, she had had other children removed. And during this investigation, they removed the three boys. And we were also, as part of this investigation, uh, we were privy to seeing their house, the inside of their house, which was actually videotaped by another uh, YouTube content creator. And it looked like a, a dungeon. And, you know, I remember early on in the investigation when we said that place is horrible, we took like great criticism for critiquing the house as if, yes, that, 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 that house should be in house and garden. You know, it should be featured. Are you kidding me? It, no child should live in that house. There was exposed wires all over the place. I don't think a single thing in that house was to code. So there were all of these other factors that we saw. And the fact that they removed the three boys, it showed where there's smoke, there's fire. You know, Billy, you're describing it so well. We did take a little bit of uh, of uh, uh, blowback 
describing it as a dungeon, but when you saw how they had to get down in there, uh, the living conditions weren't very good, obviously, not what we would call in the norm. And I think that what we've discovered, uh, what we found out on our show, all the shows that we did, all the investigation that we did uh, from a peripheral point, we basically decided uh, or came to the opinion that uh, a stranger abduction was probably not really on the table, uh, that either it was intentionally killed, accidentally killed, or she was uh, orchestrated to be given away to someone. And now based on uh, subsequent interviews that Candace did, and now your opinion uh, changing tonight, and you're telling me uh, what you believe. And then I'm just looking at that interview for a second time. Uh, that, that gets a little bit more of credibility in my eye now, because, uh, you know, it's quite obvious she knows something. She's not being 100% truthful. I think that's obvious. Don as well. There's, there's things that, uh, inconsistencies that have popped up that uh, are obviously showing that they are, uh, they're holding back on, on truth. So, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, the, I mean, we had Dave Rader on the ground. We had him on the show several times from uh, Midwest Texas EquiSearch. I thought that was a great asset that was involved in the, in the whole investigation and the whole search. And from him being on the ground and giving us an, a real eyes-on look of the property, uh, we really, uh, we dissected it and we felt that a stranger danger was probably very, very minute possibility. You know, a stranger coming on and abducting us. So, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, you know, the possibility that she was either killed or accidentally killed and then disposed of, or now uh, we're, we're going into the direction of a possibility that she was given away to, to, to someone. I think, uh, you know, that, that has a little more weight tonight. Yeah. I just think that, you know, I, I've exhausted uh, in my mind, anyone in my investigative experience, the other possibilities. And I, you know, at first we had Irma Rivera on, the first grade detective who worked many years in Manhattan special victims and then retired out of Manhattan South homicide. She felt from day one that it was a kidnapping. I still don't feel, I think it was like a voluntary kidnapping. Like Candace gave her to someone. That's what I'm feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense because I think that perhaps in Candace's mind, she was protecting her from Don, who in my mind is probably a, a sexual abuser, you know, and they, they didn't want her near him anymore. So in her, she probably saw that as uh, relieving the child summer from a life of, of misery. And that's what I feel potentially could have happened. And look, you or I are not privy to the case folder. We do not know the results of interviews. We do not know the results of the TBI and the FBI and the Hawkins County Police of their investigative steps. So I don't know where they're at with, case, with this case. Maybe they're nowhere. You know, maybe they're just hypothesizing and theorizing just like we are, or what you say, spitballing. Maybe they're still at that stage, but it's been six months, and I just felt we had to touch back upon this case and just let our listeners know that there's been so many um, people uh, do this case on YouTube, uh, content providers doing this case, and no one knows what happened. And there's been deep dives, and there's been body language, uh, you know, people reading body language. She went on Dr. Phil, who I have no use for, that guy. You know, um, he's he's obviously all about the money because he'll never, ever talk about this case again. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we had great people like Dave Rader from Midwest EquiSearch who came here numerous times and searched both on foot and with drones 
and they never were able to find anything. So they used dives and, and, and they all volunteered. That's another good point to bring up. And uh, I think they did a fantastic job. And the fact that we had eyes on the ground, someone on our show explaining the, uh, the layout of the property. I thought that was super, super important to uh, eliminate certain things like uh, a, a stranger abduction. Yeah, 100%. And look, one of the things I, I want everyone to understand is that this case will never, ever stop being investigated until either they find Summer or they find uh, remains uh, or there's some type of closure to this. This will always remain open until they find this little girl. And could it happen that they find her alive? Absolutely. It could absolutely happen. Uh, I don't think many people are, are that optimistic. However, it's happened before and it, it can happen again. Absolutely, Bill. Uh, that would be a prayer from God. That would be a blessing, be a miracle. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm be honest with you, I'm a little taken back by uh, how strong you seem to be on uh, that she may have been, you know, uh, orchestrated uh, kidnapping or given away, basically. So, uh, yeah, that's that's it's uh, kind of a new development in my mind. Uh, well, you know, Phil, I I've run hundreds and hundreds of homicide and major cases, and one of the things I always learned was when your investigative theory at the beginning isn't working out, change direction. Yeah, and you can change direction, and all good investigators know how to do that and why you should do that, because if your investigative direction isn't going or doesn't seem plausible anymore, change direction. And I've done that hundreds of times on high-profile murder cases, kidnapping cases, all kinds of cases, and you change direction and you, you know, you do that with, when I talk about hypothesizing and theorizing, one of the most important things that investigators do is they stand around or they sit around with 10, 15 investigators and they do what you said. They spitball. They talk about the case. What do you think? What do you got? What, who have you spoken to? What did this person say? What did that person say? What what came back with the with the drone search? Anything? Did you speak to Midwest Equisearch? All of those things, you put it together, and then you come to certain conclusions, and if necessary, you change investigative direction. 100%, Billy. I can't tell you how many times on major cases, high profile, whatever it was, there'd be a bunch of us standing around and there'd be some guy in the, in the group of detectives that, you know, when it first looked like it was going in this direction, uh, he wanted to stay in that direction. But for me, I always try to keep an open mind and I would always try to recreate the steps of what was going on. Like for instance, they're talking about it's 6.30 at night when when she's reported missing. She was If, she, if it was a stranger abduct abduction. It happened probably around the early evening, 5.30, 6 o'clock time frame. Now it was light out that day. There's 13, 14, 18 dogs, whatever it is in the property. Uh, it's not something that's well-traveled. It's it's kind of a secluded property. So I thought it was very, very unlikely based on the stuff that Dave said that it was going to be a stranger abduction. So that's where I got to that in my mind. You know what I mean? It's it, And I really love the fact that uh, you have to change direction sometimes. You have to keep an open mind. The guys that uh, that were stubborn about it, I would fight them on it tooth and nail if I really felt strongly about it. And listen, sometimes you have to eliminate things. I get it. But uh, you can't be afraid if you're going down a road and you hit a roadblock to back up and start in a different direction because that's the way investigations go. You know, 100%, and I just want our uh, listeners to understand that. And in no way, there's no geniuses in the investigative business. There's people that have open minds and that have experience and they're police officers first. 
and then they become investigators. And you learn investigation through trial and error and from learning from those that came before you. And then from studying, I've said a million times, and I used to say it when I used to teach college, investigation is an art and a science, you know? And the art part of it is what you learn to do as a police officer, talk to people, search areas, you know, uh, deductive reasoning, all those type of things. And the science, of course, is the DNA, you know, and we can even go into some of the, le the electronic science, dumping cell phones, you know, cell towers, all of that stuff. That's the science of investigation, to put, to put it mildly. Now, I don't want to spend the whole time on this case, but we just wanted to retouch upon it uh, and let everyone know, and of course, I think most people that are listening to this, we know that this case is still open. We know young Summer Wells has not been found. And we're going to stay with this case. We'll touch upon it throughout 2022. And hopefully there'll be a good report on uh, what happened to Summer Wells. All the subscribers, everybody that's listening, just keep little Summer in your prayers. Let's hope for the best that maybe she could be found alive. That would be a real miracle. Uh, and just keep her in your thoughts and prayers, and we will definitely stay on it. 100%. The other big case of uh, 2021, of course, was um, – the Gabby Petito case. And that, that case uh, broke everyone's heart. You know, this was a, a young couple that um, traveled across the country in a van. And it, it, seemingly they had uh, everything in the world to live for. And uh, we know the tragic, tragic ending of this, you know. And the only thing that many people point towards and we point toward it too because you can't be uh you can't be a Monday morning quarterback, but people do it all the time. And the video that we that I'm gonna show again is of course the one with the Moab police where people are still blaming it. I'm sure the, the police in Moab are largely blaming themselves for what for what happened here. Billy, before you play it, let me just give a quick shoot a rundown. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, basically, uh, July 2nd, they leave New York and head west to go to some visit national parks. Uh, through July and August, they uh, document most of their trip on YouTube uh, to create like a, a, a podcast, or sort of like a travel uh, podcast. August 12th is the video you're about to play where they get in the dispute with the uh, interaction with the Moab police in Utah. August 11th, I'm sorry, uh, August 17th, Brian, Brian flies back to Florida, allegedly to empty some storage locker. 21st, uh, Gabby speaks to her father, orders food for her. Uh, she stays at a hotel for a couple of days. The 23rd, Brian returns. That's August. Uh, the 24th and 23rd, uh, she FaceTimes with her mom. 25th, they're in Grand Teton National Park. 27th, that's the fight at the restaurant where uh, things are get a little crazy. A restaurant is called the Something Piglet. I forget the first name, but uh, uh, he was being described that day as being uh, really out of control. Uh, 30th, they try to get uh, information. Uh, the mother and father trying to text, and they believe a text message is sent from her phone, but they don't believe it's uh, Gabby. 1st of September, Brian returns to Florida. The 11th missing persons report is made. And then all the uh, other stuff that took place regarding uh, finding Gabby's body and then the subsequent suicide of uh, Brian Laundry. Is uh, showing some obscure driving, possibly intoxicated. Currently doing 45 miles an hour. Zone through here is 25. Oh, 
Subjects just hit the curb. Correction speed limit is 15. I'm about three quarters of a mile into the arches just before. What's you guys' names? Gabby. I'm Brian. Gabby, Brian, okay. What's going on? How come you're crying? I'm just crying. We've just been fighting this morning. Some personal issues. It was a long day. We were camping yesterday and camping got the supplies and stuff. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hit the, the bump there. I was distracting him from driving. I'm sorry. Can I get you to step out of the vehicle for me, man? Yeah. Just hang tight right there. Um, do you mind if I take your keys and just put them on your hood? You got it, buddy. I'm so Thank sorry. You. Oh, no, you're fine. I'm going to go ahead and close your door. Okay. Why don't you come over here? SO229. I have the female that was in the past mm -hmm. year's separated from the male. Keys are on the hood. You want to tell me what's wrong? Yeah, I don't know. It's just some days I have really bad OCD, and okay. I just I was just cleaning and straightening up back of the van before, and I was apologizing to him and saying, "I'm sorry that I'm so mean because sometimes I have OCD, and sometimes I just get really frustrated. I'm not like mean towards him. I just like I guess my vibe is like I." Really, I'm really like in a bad mood. And I was just saying, I'm sorry if I'm in a bad mood. I've just been really stressed. I had so much work I was doing on my computer this morning. What do you do for a living? Um, well, I, I think it's for getting, getting too far, but I just hit my job. Okay. I was a nutritionist. That's, oh, okay. that's my that's job. Cool. And I just um, hit my job to travel across the country. And I'm trying to start a blog. And okay. Have a blog. So, so I've been building my website. So I've been really stressed. And, he doesn't really believe that I could do any of it. Just kind of been like a, I don't know. He's like in, down there. I don't know. We've just been fighting all morning, and and he wouldn't let me in the car before. And Why I, wouldn't he let you in the car? Because you have OCD. Told me I need to calm down. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm perfectly calm. I'm calm all the time, and he really stresses me out. And I just this is a rough morning. Well. Why don't we do this? Why don't I sit you down in the back seat of my car? You're not in any trouble, okay? I'm not going to be putting handcuffs on you. You obviously don't have any weapons. I'm going to get you into the air conditioning, let you take a breath, relax a little bit, and then I'll come back and talk to you in a few minutes, okay? Okay. All right. Like I said, you're not in any trouble. So just go ahead and take a seat. What's that? Yeah, I just spoke to her. So, you want to do me a favor? Let's go ahead and get you to step out of the vehicle. Alrighty. <laughs> Come on over here. You're not in any trouble right now. So, tell me what's going on. The she just gets worked up sometimes, and I try and really distance myself from her. So, like, I, I lock the car and I walk away from her. You know, what happened this morning is that she's trying to start up like her own little website blog and everything. So, I give her time. And I, we really had a nice morning, if anything. But um, 
she just, you know, worked up because we were trying to get going and get our day going because we want to go, um, like, hard to play this up You want to tell me about those scratches on your face? She had itself on her hand. That's why I was pushing her away because I... She, she wanted me, I locked the keys so I could walk away. I, I said, let's just take a breather and let's not you know, go anywhere. Let's just calm down for a minute. <laughs> and then she had her phone and trying to get the keys. So I, got away. I was just trying to, I know I shouldn't push, but I was just trying to push her away to go, let's, let's just take a minute, step back and breathe. And we see if she got me with her phone. Well, Phil, I don't want to watch the entire thing, but let's yeah, uh, just the talk idea. about the, the, uh, the stop, you know, Obviously, Gabby was in distress, and I did believe this was August 12th. Um, many people have criticized the Moab police that, though, had they have done the right thing, had they have locked up uh, Brian, uh, maybe Gabby would have uh, still been alive. And we had spoken uh, numerous times from our point of view, our experience as officers, that they spent a great deal of time on this stop. I think it was close to an hour, maybe even more than an hour. Over an hour, uh, yes. And it seemed like that they, in my point of view, that, that they did a pretty good job. Um, you know, police officers are not psychologists. They're not social workers. They spent a lot of time trying to find out and get to the bottom of this. We were unaware, though, uh, that there had been a phone call saying that Brian, uh, someone witnessed Brian slap her. And to me, that would have changed the whole complexion of this. And had I, if I was the boss on the scene, I would have locked Brian up, no doubt in my mind. But that wasn't known uh, during this stop. Apparently, even to the officers, uh, they found it out later on. Yeah, I, I think that uh, they we concluded in our opinion, and we felt that they did uh, more than probably most police departments would have given that whole situation. We would need a crystal ball to know if he was arrested, if it would have saved her life. However, my children pointed something out to me and I actually saw it on, on Gisela's uh, show. The distress signal is this, which I'm sure a lot of people know about it already. If you're in a domestic violence situation and you see a police officer, you put your hand up, thumb in and you close it. That's the distress signal. I guess it's a, a national distress signal, maybe international. I don't know. But uh, I think the one good thing that may come out of this case is a uh, shining a light on, uh, on domestic violence. And uh, we don't know what was going on in, in her mind when that stop happened. We don't know what was going on in his mind. Did things go awry after that? Uh, we know that there was a, possible 15 day interview from the 27th uh, from the 12th to the 27th before we believe she was murdered. I think that's probably the most uh, pinpointed uh, time of death was, would be on the 27th, possibly into the 28th. So uh, if it was the next day, I would say there'd be more credence into uh, the fact that if he was arrested, they might've been uh, preventing her death, but it's uh, such a long period of time. I really think there's no way to tell. Yeah, I mean, this, and we all know that how this case ended. Of course, uh, Gabby Petito was found dead in the Grand Teton National Park. Uh, she was strangled to death. Uh, we we all believe, I believe, that Brian did it. Uh, that's definitively, we don't know if it'll ever be proven. And then, of course, he allegedly committed suicide. Um, we don't know all the facts of that either. We just know that some remains were found. And there was a gunshot wound in the skull. There wasn't even tissue remaining, so because the body was there for so long. 
So there's a lot of uh, questions unanswered that we're just expected to, I guess, assume. And maybe one day the FBI uh, and the police agencies involved will, will release that information. You know, Billy, there's a couple of things that stick out in my mind. One in particular is I, I just feel that uh, we know that the Bethunes were very instrumental in going back on their video. We had them on the show. A big shout out to the Bethunes, Jen and Kyle. They, they really put a lot of uh, uh, of the th pieces together in this case. Um, and in the video, uh, there's actually a spot where the door back door opens. Uh, I guess if we had access to the actual crime scene investigation part of when her body was found, we might know whether or not she was killed in the back of that van or if she was killed when she was at the uh, location where her body was found. It's only a couple of hundred yards, I believe, difference, uh, maybe 200 yards or something like that. So I, I, much, I just feel that uh, the homicide could have taken place much easier in the van, in the back of the van where it's closed in, if it was dark or getting dark or whatever it is, as opposed to being out in the open where someone could have seen. That's just my own personal feeling. I think the crime scene may have um, been able to, uh, you know, there may have been drag marks or different things like that. Uh, so I think that might have been telling as to where the actual murder took place. And you're showing the video now and there's a spot where they freeze it and you could see the door opens and it looks like as they approach, it closes uh, so was he actually getting ready at that point to remove her body and place it where it was found right about there, Billy? I, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, the video I'm talking about when it's slowing down, it looked like the, uh, like the door opened. So that's one of the things that sticks out. The other thing is that six day period that he left, I'd like to know what happened in both of their lives. Then I'm sure that the investigators probably tracked down, uh, movement and cell phone, stuff like that. So they have a good idea of uh, exactly what happened. You know, it's difficult to, to see even right away, uh, at the van, you know, to see if the door open. Is it possible even at that point that she was still alive or that something was going on right there? Right. That, well, it, uh, see, see, keep it right there for a second because I did see a video on the internet where they zoom in and they really, it was it was like an expert, uh, a technician that knew how to uh, play with videos. And you could see that there's like a pair of slippers right outside the door and the door starts to open and then it closes. It looks, that's what it looks like. I mean, it's very hard to really be definitive about it. So my point is this, when they would just happen to be, did, did, God above put them right in that spot at that time for this to be found. And is this another clue as to what happened? Was she killed inside that van? And then he was going to remove her and place her where he placed her, you know? Well, I mean, you would think logically he, if he killed her, he would take the body out when it was dark, but who knows? Who knows what was going on at that point? Yeah. I mean, uh, luckily the Bethunes did. Uh, and again, we praised them up and down. They were, uh, you know, we think that, you know, it was God's hand that put them there. And, uh, you know, this whole case, this whole case was so, just so horrendous. And look, Very I'm not sad. ashamed to say that, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't predict things. I can't predict things that are going to happen. And I, you know, against a lot of opposition, I think that the Moab police did a pretty damn good job. And we have so many, uh, pseudo social workers in the chat and I'm not, uh, criticizing social workers, but police are trained to do things and apply the law. And I don't think it was, everyone says, oh, it was so obvious. I don't think it was so obvious. It's obvious now when you, you know, with 2020 hindsight, what happened. You know, folks, I just want to uh, mention all you folks in the chat. 
This is uh, our last episode of 2021. And I want to thank all of you guys that have been supporting us throughout the uh, 2021. And all you folks in the chat that aren't subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, if you like this show, go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell. We also have a Patreon. Uh, you know, there's three different levels, Polish My Rack, Dipped in Butter, and the Bucket. And then we have the our YouTube. You want to become a member uh, of the uh, Police Off the Cuff family, you can go on our YouTube. You can go on policeoffthecuff.com to get on that. We just thought um, this is our last show of 2021. We would go over some of the biggest cases. And, of course, the Gabby Petito and Brian Laundry case was just uh, an amazingly huge case. Uh, One last year. comment about it, Bill, before we move on. Uh, if there is criticism in the chat about the fact that we believe that those cops did what they were supposed to do, I mean, until uh, you're in the thick of things, that's like Monday morning quarterback. And I don't want to, you know, uh, criticize anybody, but until you're in the thick of things and you've done the job and you've done, and you've seen family disputes and you've worked hundreds of them, like Bill and I have maybe thousands and you see how things go. And then you look at that and you try to critique it and you see that they did go the extra mile. Would we all love for him to have been arrested and Gabby's life to be saved? 100 million percent however it didn't go that way but to criticize them now and have a crystal ball in your hand and say oh she would have been saved we don't know that we can't say that and i just want to say this is coming from two professionals with almost 50 years of experience and we both have the same opinion about that those guys did uh above and beyond on on, on the call of duty as far as i'm concerned lisa jennings uh the moab police did the best they could i'm sure they are beating themselves up right now you of know course. something lisa you're 100 percent correct of course. they probably are they feel and, terrible. Uh, you know yeah they all feel terrible and not that they could have prevented what occurred but they definitely do uh they do feel terrible i'm sure um joe murray brian was a peace-loving man who wouldn't even drink water out of a bottle joe where are you getting that from i shouldn't have read joe Mo Joe Murray's comments sometimes. I, I, regret, I regret reading it. No, just kidding. Uh, Real with Robo. Phil, people are trying to discredit an idea that has merit. No one is questioning uh, the police. Now, look, I, you should question the police. Everyone should question all authority, you know, but um, it's always easy to Monday morning quarterback and to uh, critique or criticize uh, things that, uh, you know, you don't you don't have a great deal of experience in uh again we, you know we the finality to the gabby petito case we don't know all the evidence we don't know if there ever will be well there's not going to be charges if brian is the perpetrator but the the, the investigation is, is sure not closed and we'll uh go back to this case in 2022 if there's further developments in it was there uh, a note, Billy? Was there a suicide note? Right, we don't know that back? exactly. Did he talk about the murder? Was he sorry for killing her? We don't know these things. And I believe the family, if those things do exist, the family should be privy to that stuff. I'm sure it may come out down the line if they are. And I don't think this investigation is over yet. I think it's far from over. There's probably a lot of other things that are going to be looked at and stuff. And listen, Joe Murray being dissenting about uh, whether or not Brian is responsible for it. That's okay. That's part of the criminal justice system. Innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And I believe in that. I, I believe in our system. And I don't have a problem with that. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Uh, Bill and I try to stay with facts and we're analyzing facts and, and we're doing it from a uh, an investigative standpoint. 
For sure, Phil. You know, another big case that we covered, and we're going to segue away from this case, is uh, this case is unbelievable, and it still is amazing. It's the Alec Murdoch case down in Beaufort, South Carolina. I'll just play a little bit of this uh, this video here. Shot to death in an unsolved case three months ago was found shot himself in South Carolina. This morning, a South Carolina man whose wife and son were brutally murdered in June, now recovering after someone shot him this weekend. A family spokesperson telling ABC News that Alec Murdoch was changing a tire on the side of the road in rural Hampton County Saturday when a car passed him, turned around, and someone shot him in the head. He was airlifted to a hospital in Charleston. We are told he is conscious and speaking. Murdoch's brother sitting down with us back in June. Did they have any enemies? I really don't know of any enemies. You hear all this talk on the, you know, social media with regard to Paul, but I don't know of anybody no. that would truly, that would truly be an enemy or truly want to harm them. The brothers asking for the public's help after Alex's wife, Maggie, and their 22-year-old son, Paul, were found murdered at the family's hunting lodge. To date, no suspects have been named. No arrests have been made. The Murdoch family, part of the legal establishment in the South Carolina Lowcountry, going back almost a century. Three generations of Murdochs held the solicitor's job in this region for years. They also own a prominent law firm. At the time of the double murders, Paul had been awaiting trial, accused of being under the influence in 2019 while crashing a boat, killing 19-year-old passenger Mallory Beach. 911, where's your emergency? What bridge is Paul, what bridge is this? All five of us are on the bank, but we're, we're missing one person. Please send someone. The charges in that case were dropped in August due to Paul's death, but new documents recently released raising questions for the family as to how the boat crash investigation was handled. I think the, the one thing they want is accountability. And they're particularly offended that um, if it happened, if, if people tried to cover up what happened, they're, they're incredibly offended and they want that out. Because it shouldn't be that way. Meanwhile, the investigation into the Murdoch double murders uncovering new information about a different case, leading investigators to reopen a 2015 cold case, the death of Stephen Smith. Smith's body was found more than six years ago in the middle of a road in Hampton County. His family says how he died has long been in question. I'd be happy to see all this, you know, laid out on the table, you know, finding out who did it, you know, why they did it. And it's important to point out that Alec Murdoch, everyone involved in the boat crash, their families, the Smith family, they all voluntarily gave DNA to help investigators rule them out as suspects in that. Phil, this case is unbelievable, you know, and we, we tried to cover it and it's like every week something new would come to light and it's, you want to just make a, a few comments on this case? Well, I did write out a, a timeline, but there's just so many things and I'm going to skip it. I think everybody's got the idea that the early summer, uh, his wife and son were shot and killed on his, on his, uh, his, uh, his hunting lodge. Uh, there's so many uh, things that we know of right now, going back to 2015 when Stephen Smith was killed. Then uh, 2018, Gloria Satterfield, who was a housekeeper, died under suspicious circumstances. There's a lot here, but I'm not going to go into the whole thing. I did find out something very, very intriguing today. Uh, on the 27th of December, which is a few days ago, it was reported that in the mother, uh, the wife, 
I'm sorry, his wife, Maggie, which was the mother of the son, Paul, in her will, she leaves all of her property to Alec. Uh, the executive of the will was her sister, and it was crossed out and written in was the uh, patriarch of the family, which was, uh, I believe it was the grandfather. It was Alec's father. Um, let's see, I have it here. Randolph Mur Murdoch the the third, who died three days after she died. Uh, his name, uh, the, the sister's name was crossed out on the will. His name was written in, and then he died three days later. So Hanky Panky was going on right after his wife was killed with her will. It's obvious uh, all the twists and turns of this case. It's probably the most sensational case that's happened. I can't remember something this sensational. That's how far you, back. You know, Phil, writers writing a, a, uh, a TV series couldn't write all the twists and turns that happened with this Murdoch case because the viewers wouldn't believe it, but this is Absolutely. true to life. This Absolutely. is true life. Yeah. They always say it, truth is stranger than fiction, right? Yeah. They, they always say art imitating, Im, imitating life. This is life imitating art because the things that are coming out that, like you said, most writers that, you know, whoever was looking at say, what are you crazy? Who would believe this stuff? But it just continues. He's still facing charges. There's a lot of other investigation going on. We're going to stay on this one throughout. I'm sure in 2022, uh, we're going to be visiting it again uh, as the developments happen. I mean, if something uh, worth reporting on happens, we'll be on it. Uh, just really a wild and sensational case. Really, really uh, all the stuff of a soap opera with a drama and <laughs> you can, an action movie. It's all, it's all here. That's for sure. I mean, uh, it's, you know, this whole, this whole deal here, it's just so hard to believe that, uh, you know, that this whole situation is going on with it. I just can't believe it. It's, uh, I could crazy. see this story being a, uh, a mini series at some point. I, I, I guarantee it's going to go on to uh, the big screen someday, sometime because it's just really vast. It's it's got a lot of twists and turns. It what we know of this is a family that was a dynasty in that area of Carolina for over a uh, hundred years, and uh, the the stuff that we know about took place starting in 2015. We're at 2022. That's seven years. Five bodies. Uh, numerous families devastated. Uh, lying. Theft of property, uh, it just goes on and on. Oh, we got two Billy Cannons. I don't know what happened here. Oh, Something uh one froze, one froze. Okay. <laughs> We're getting coffee with can there we go. Oh wait, it's still frozen. Can you hear me, Bill? Oh, I lost Billy. I may have to go on without him. Let's see. Billy, are we still uh oh, we're still live? All right, if he doesn't come back on, I will continue on. Let's see. He'll oh, he's got me on the screen. All right. There we go. I'm sorry, guys. I I tried to um bring up a a video that we had loaded and um it froze up. Live TV. That's what happens with live TV. We're gonna uh, we're gonna touch on another case shortly. We're gonna touch on the Baldwin case, and then we're gonna have some uh, some closing statements about what took place on police off the cuff in the last uh, last year. Um, we got you back, Bill. Yeah, we're back. I'm okay. sorry. I had some uh, technical difficulties here. Live TV, my brother. Live TV. I was trying to bring up the Sammy the Bull Gravano uh, video to, to, to play a little bit of it for our fans to show some of the <laughs> stuff we, we did last year, some of the yeah. unusual are, stuff. Are we going to discuss uh, Baldwin? I thought we were going to do Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that. But I wanted to okay. show a little bit of some of the um, – some of the folks that we had on our, our podcast, that's a little bit unusual from other um, 
of the fall, I, I'm not going to be able to do Sammy the Bull. Um, yeah, well, let's go. Let's go to Alec Baldwin. Okay. One of the last cases we cov- covered for the year um, what was the Alec Baldwin case, and uh, one of the things that um, that was to us that was so egregious was if you saw his interview with um, I call mm-hmm. him George George Snuffleupagus because that's who he, he reminded me of some Sesame Street character. Uh, it was so pathetic. Uh, that he, he was throwing him not just softballs, he was throwing him beach balls. And we'll watch a little bit of that for, for a second here. You, you haven't said much in public since that tragic accident. Why, why speak out now? Well, I think that um, there's a criminal investigation. That could be a while. Uh, there's all kinds of civil litigation. And I felt there were a number of misconceptions most of it from sources I really wouldn't concern myself about, but a couple that I did concern myself about, where there were these authoritative statements about this is what happened. The sheriff's department hasn't even released a report to the DA yet. The reason I wanted to sit down with you is because I really feel like I can't wait for that process to fit to end in February, March. I mean, I'm not asking them to speed it up for my benefit. That's ridiculous. But I am saying that they're going to do what they need to do. And I wanted to come to talk to you to say that I would go to any lengths to undo what happened. I would go to any lengths to undo what happened. I think the big question, and the one you must have asked yourself a thousand times, how could this have happened? Well, there's two things I want to say about that. One is that when I talk about this, My concern is that I don't sound like I'm the victim. Because there is a victim. There's a woman who died. And my friend got shot. He's my friend. And she was a new friend. I met her and we worked together on the, some of the mapping out of what we're gonna do on the film, which, you know, in the movie terms, if you go make a movie with Scorsese, you and the DP don't sit down and they solicit your ideas of how to make the film, you know what I mean? In the case of Helena, we sat down collaboratively and talked a lot about what we wanted to do in that uh, a precious amount of time we had. Well, we, we had gone over this uh, interview sort of ad nauseum and the fact that uh, it seemed like an infomercial for Alec Baldwin to get rid of his culpability <laughs> in this case and to show that he wasn't responsible. And we clearly showed that he was responsible uh, with the great Sergeant John Pellucci, a NYPD crime scene sergeant, showed how uh, when Baldwin said he never pulled the trigger, he just pulled the hammer back and let it go. And he showed that that's impossible to do that with that firearm. And so right there, he's obviously lying. And uh, George Snuffleupagus never asked him a tough question in that whole interview. I was It was so pathetic because he's such a pathetic journalist george snuffleupagus that and then the next day on good morning america he's saying it was such an intense interview for who who was it intense for not you and certainly not for alec baldwin yeah yeah you know uh the whole thing (coughs) excuse me the whole thing occurred october 21st 2021 while they were filming the movie rust bonanza creek ranch in new mexico it's being investigated by the santa fe county sheriff's new mexico district attorney's office new mexico osha which is the occupational safety hazards uh, administration. December 2nd, he does the interview. Now, we brought on John Pellucci, who's a crime scene expert, gave a tremendous demonstration about the gun 
based on statements that Alec made during that interview. We also had Sergeant Steve Gardell from the movie TV unit who's worked in and around movie sets for the last seven or eight years, uh, maybe more now. He's working, uh, retired from the police force, working in production. Uh, he gave us the rundown on the safety protocols, who should be handling a gun, who should be handling a gun. Well, they were using a real gun. Somehow or another, real bullets found their way into the gun. Two people were shot. One was killed. Paul Helena Hutchins lost her life. She looked like a really nice girl. Uh, the uh, director was also shot in the shoulder. Obviously, mishandling gu of guns, uh, inconsistent statements on who handled the gun before and after. Uh, Alex saying he never pulled the trigger. Pellucci, unless the gun is uh, malfunctioning, uh, he proved that the gun couldn't fire without the trigger being pulled. Whether or not he remembers it, knows it, somehow or another, if the gun is functional, that trigger was pulled. We will wait and see what the investigation reveals. I'm sure there's going to be pending civil litigation as well as possibly criminal charges for somebody I feel strongly. Somebody's getting charged criminally. There was just too much rec recklessness uh, reported that uh, shots were being fired a day or two before with that same gun on the set, which is a no-no. And... Uh, we went through with Joe Murray. We went through <clears throat> with some other legal uh, experts. There's going to be criminal charges here, and I'm sure there's going to be some heavy civil litigation. Absolutely. And, you know, many of the people in the chat, you know, someone said he doth protest this too much, and I certainly uh, concur with that. If you're innocent, you should just shut up and start, don't go on TV shows protesting your innocence just because you can, because you're a celebrity. And you have a guy giving you an assist, i.e. George Snuffleupagus, giving you that, that you know, softball interview that was just so pathetic to watch. Um, just, just that was ridiculous. a feel-good interview, Billy. And that the one thing that was done, obviously, architect between attorneys and, and Stephanopoulos and his people, it was a feel-good interview to try and make him look good, a Baldwin. That's my opinion. And the one thing that was like a knife in the gut to me was when he said he didn't feel guilt about having the gun in his hand when it went off and killing that young lady and shooting that uh, guy. That was it for me. Uh, he would have been much better off saying, of course, I feel guilty, which anyone that has feelings would. Absolutely. Uh, if there's some updates uh, to the Alec Baldwin case in 2022, we will surely we will surely, surely cover that. Um, in the past year, we've just had some unbelievable guests, one of them being, of course, uh, uh, Sammy, the Bull, Sammy the Bull Gravano. And a bunch of some people criticized us for having him on. But uh, let me let me show a little bit of Sammy. Uh, we'll show a, a couple of seconds. Guys were basically uh, committing some petty crimes. Uh, there was no money and stuff. But when was it in your life that you knew that you were going to be a member of organized crime or at least associated with organized crime? Was there a specific point in your life? Like, did you aspire that when you were younger, or as time went on and you got involved in things, it just happened? How'd that go, Sam? I never wanted it. We in the ramp is you know we had this stupid motto: "Fuck the mob. It's us against the world." So we didn't want to have nothing to do with the mob. Um, later on, I, when I was 19 years old, I got drafted. I went into the Army during the Vietnam War. And uh, I spent two years in. And uh, when I came out, most of the rampers had hooked up with mafia guys. And it changed around while I was gone. I still didn't hook up with anybody. And then after a while, I hooked up with Shorty Spiro and the Colombo family. And uh, he told me what I wanted to hear. 
He said, Sammy, I'll never backstab. I'll never lie to you. Anytime I ask you to do something, I've already done it or I'll do it with you. You're going to be part of a family. That became music to my ears. If I had to be with anybody who's an ex-fighter, I shook his hand and I said, okay, I'll be in. And that's where I started basically in the Colombo family. And it wasn't until I was, I got out of the military when I was 21. I think I, think I hooked, I hooked up, up when I was, was about 22 or 23. I think 23. But uh, I hooked up with the Colombo family. That's where I did my first murder. I never killed anybody before that. What was your relationship with John Gotti like before the shit at the fan? What was it like on a day-to-day basis doing business? He's the boss. You're the underboss. What was it like to work for him? Listen, I love the guy. We were attached at the hip. I did everything under the sun for him. When I cooperated, there was every, almost every one of his trials. I was in the background rigging the trial, paying people, threatening people. I, I did everything <laughs> under the sun. Kill for him. <laughs> I love that. I'm doing everything, paying people, threatening people, killing people. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't be laughing, but, you know, here we are making light of a, of a murderer, and he was on our show, and, I mean... He couldn't be a nicer guy to us, but you know it is what it is, and uh, you know. Listen, he, he's he's got uh, a story to tell. He's doing very well on his podcast. Government made a deal with the guy. He did time after he ma- finished his time with with the government related to organized crime. He was so instrumental <clears throat> in bringing down John Gotti and many other members of the Gambino crime family. I'm not trying to justify that he should be walking around free. Whatever happened with Sammy, it happened. He is leading um, a straight life now. Um, I don't have a problem with him coming on a show. I think there's a story to be there told. He's only did a handful of interviews. He did Diane Sawyer when he first uh, came out of uh, witness protection. And he's going to do another one uh, that Tommy Dade's going to be involved in. Uh, it's going to be airing uh, January 27th on 2020. Um, so to get, uh, uh, an interview like that on a podcast, like we do, it was really a no brainer. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. I know you don't have a problem with it. And, uh, I don't think most of the listeners had a problem with it. I don't think there's a journalist in the world that would turn down an interview with Sammy. You know, Phil, I just want to speed right along. Cause we did very recently had this famous, um, chef come on our show. And, uh, <laughs> Here we go. I, I, just, I just want to play a little bit of the famous chef, small swimming pool. And the and the stir like an oar, like the size of an oar. Well, that's the we break out the vat for the special big occasion holidays. That's when we break out the vat. That's like the standard Sunday sauce pot. It looks a little smaller than it really is. It's actually a pretty big pot. But uh, I want to get to one thing though. Bill. There's a big discussion about whether we call it sauce or gravy. Now, where I come from in Brooklyn, my mother always had. Uh, she called it sauce. Now, the only time she called it gravy is when she made a special occasion sauce where she threw meatballs, sausage, brajol. You like brajol, Billy? Because I love brajol. Nothing like it. I love brajol. Typical Sunday sauce, that's what you'll put in there. But when she made a quick sauce, let's say a marinata, that was just tomato sauce and you'd throw a quick over macaroni. We always refer to that as sauce. But <laughs> If you guys want to watch the rest of that, you're going to just have to tune into that special one. But 
We're going to do some more shows like that in 2022. Yeah, that was so, so good. But I got to explain cooking. what Brajol is. A lot of people might not know what Brajol is. Brajol is like a flat piece of pork. It's almost like a pork cutlet. And what you do is you put some garlic and parsley and cheese and stuff and breadcrumb and you roll it up and you tie it with string and then you throw it into the sauce. You braise it first and you put it into the sauce. And because it simmers in the sauce for a few hours, it's really, really delicious. Very, very good. All the Italians will know what that is. But the people that don't know, I just had to explain that real quick. And yeah, I'm looking forward to doing some more. Those are going to be quick shows, 15-minute segments, hopefully. Uh, we're going to throw them on the Patreon first, Bill. Is that how it's going to go? Yeah, we'll put them on Patreon and our members, a YouTube member, for two to three weeks. And then we'll put it out <laughs> to the public. Because I think that uh, a lot of people are, uh, are really... Uh, want to hear how Phil cooks. And then we're going to come up with some other stuff. You know, yeah. uh, Phil and I are parents. You know, we're going to teach yeah. people how to be good parents, stuff like that. And you guys will be getting mad at us. And say, what the hell do cops know about being good parents? Well, we all, I raised two good sons and Philly raised three good daughters. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to give our advice because we can. <laughs> it's a work in progress. And listen, Police Off the Cuff is obviously a law enforcement uh, type podcast. But, you know, we might pop into other little areas. And we've had such a great, amount of guests, a, a, a litany of different eclectic, as you say, Billy, we've had a little bit of everything as far as guests goes. And I'm waiting on uh, reading a nice list of people. I hope I didn't leave anybody out, but uh, when you're ready, just give me the green light and we'll go through that. Yeah. Let me, I'm just going to play a quick uh, touch of this. This episode here was with the great um, Tommy Dades and uh, oh, Larry Mazza, yeah. Larry Mazza, who was uh, another uh, made guy. And I'm going to put, put them on the screen here. We had him on. And too much like an academy. And I started getting interested in girls and going out to clubs. So I joined up the boxing gym with Tommy. And we continued on there for a while, too. And, Larry, you're a, you're a kickboxer, right? I did kickboxing, yes. I, and I was then a, a, an instructor for years. Is there, is there a belt? Are you belted in that? I got, I got a second-degree black belt in Florida. And it was given to me by two guys that are incredible fighters. Donnie Hare, who passed away, and this name that people will know, Don the Dragon Wilson. He's like an 11-time champion. Lou Neglia knows him well. Because I lost time, don't forget, in prison. While I was there, I continued to train. I trained with other boxers and martial artists. And I first got out, I was doing a, a show at Neglia at the Capitol of and I was working the corner for three different fighters, and you you came with me. Yeah, that's right. And in the middle of the night, we went to see Negley. We knocked on his door like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. That was another really interesting show, and Larry Mazza has a book out called The Life, where he uh, talks about his life uh, in the mob. Uh, he worked for Gregory Scarpa, who was known as the Grim Reaper. Um he doesn't pull any punches. He talks about the hits that he went on. And I think it was a pretty damn interesting. And that was the great Tommy Dades, who we had on the other night, who uh, was a first grade NYPD detective who put away uh, the mafia cops, uh, Louis Polito and Stephen Caracappa. You know, Philly, I think that, that we're going to probably, uh, I want to give you some of the last words. We're at, a, we're at an hour right now. Oh, and I, I wanted you to talk about, uh, do a recap on the year and what we what we spoke about. Well, right off the bat, you were just talking about it. The mafia cops, all right? Friends of the family. Uh, Tommy Dades, 
uh, I'm going to name some great law enforcement officers we had on the show, some NYPD greats, first grade detectives. Tommy Dades, along with uh, Joe Ponzi and uh, Michael Vecchione of the Brooklyn DA's office, they brought down the mob cops. We got Michael O'Keefe, who wrote three books. He was a, a first grade detective that was part of the Washington Heights riots where he was in a fight for his life with a guy by the name of Kiko Garcia. Mikey Heinrichs, first grade detective, one of the highest decorated police officers. I had the pleasure of working a few homicides with Mikey myself. We were in Brooklyn South together. I knew him for years. We just had him on recently. Sean McTie, first grade detective, 7-5 squad, instrumental case detective in the Met Sanguine case. It was just an unbelievable case. Yeah, there's, uh, there's Mikey's rack. Um, next. Uh, Sergeant Stephen Gardell, I said he was from the movie TV unit. He gave us expert advice on what went on on the uh, movie set with uh, Alec Baldwin. Sergeant John Paolucci, uh, retired sergeant from, excuse me, crime scene unit, gave an unbelievable demonstration, just unbelievable, about the firing of the gun and how we took it apart that what Baldwin's, Baldwin said really couldn't be. Lieutenant Pete Impranzo of the Harlem Raiders, street crime extraordinaire boss. Here's his book, his latest book. Uh, really great guy. Him and his wife, Rachel, are great people. People. Sergeant Chris Strom, who worked in the intelligence division. He wrote a book. Uh, I, I don't have the name of it in front of me. I'm sorry, but he was also uh, a, a great guest. Billy, um, he wrote Brooklyn to Baghdad. That's it. Uh, Brooklyn to Baghdad. Strom. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, one of the other greats in law enforcement, Joe Pastone, Infiltrated the Mafia in a movie, motion picture. Donnie Brasco was made based on that. Uh, Irma Rivera, first grade detective, uh, special victims detective. We had her on. Joe Cal, who's a lieutenant, retired, saved my life. Uh, I saved him on Christmas Day, 1983. He saved me March 1st, 1980, uh, 1985, I believe. Long story. Then we had some criminal justice and legal people. Joe Murray from Allegedly Guilty, an attorney, former NYPD police officer. Um, medical legal investigator, Barbara Butcher, she gave some unbelievable information regarding several cases, including um, uh, Gabby Petito. Uh, Michael Vecchione, who has three books, he worked along with uh, Joe Ponzi and Tommy Dades to help bring down the mob cops. We had Judge Patricia Demango from a hit show called Hot Bench. It's on television every day, I believe about nine o'clock in the morning. I think it's channel two in, in our area. Then we had cross-pollination with other YouTubers. We've had Sammy the Bull on. We've had Jimmy Calandra, who's also an organized crime uh, officia, uh, uh, associate that was part of the Bath Avenue crew. His show is doing very well. Duty Ron. How can, I should have said Duty Ron first. Our mentor, Duty Ron. Him and Ed Wallace have a great podcast. We uh, had uh, uh, Keith Laron from Grizzly Books. Um, we had Chaz Palmateri from the motion picture world, the Bronx Tale, Sandy Blue Eyes, his best friend, his uh, confidant, his bodyguard, also a retired NYPD police officer. We're hoping to have them on sometime early 22. Willie DeMeo, actor, producer. He's running the series right now called Gravesend, which was filming all over Brooklyn. They're down in Florida now. Um, we did some 9-11 shows. Inspector Bobby Martin has several books out related to 9-11. Sergeant Donnie Young, unbelievable cop, went to uh, into the – he was deployed as a reservist numerous times to the Middle East, and then he went into the, uh, the private security business. He's been there, uh, I think, up until recently. John Sorrentino, uh, his firehouse lost nine uh, – 
eight or nine guys, 9-11. He's involved with a great foundation called Friends of the Firemen. Other foundations, Dave Rader and Tim Miller, founders of Midwest Texas EquiSearch, great charity. Uh, the Gabby Petito Fund. James Ryder was on just recently from the Feel Good Foundation. Him and John Feel have done more for first responders and people that suffer the effects after 9-11 from being down there like Billy and I. Those guys have done more than probably anybody along with John Stewart, uh, many other people involved in that. And we also had uh, Michelle McPhee, a great author. I have her book here real quick. She wrote the book Mayhem about the Boston Marathon bombing. She was a great interview. Um, Tom Delgado, Delgado, who was an attorney, stand-up comic. He's now a tour guide. We're going to be doing something with Tom, hopefully in 2022 as well. That's just some of the great guests that we had. Uh, I, I may have missed some. Uh, I hope I don't insult anybody, but I just want to give a, a big thank you out too. I want to give a big thank you to Big Guns Cannon. The first time I met him was on the on the set of The Perfect Murder. I showed up early. Nobody was there. He was the first car that pulled up. I knew he had to be related to it. I knocked on his window. He opened it up this much. He said, what do you need, kid? Big Guns Cannon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, he opened up his window. I introduced myself to him. I was a little nervous. He calmed me down. He said, don't worry. It's going to be great. He helped me along with that. We did great on that show. If it wasn't for that meeting, I wouldn't be here today. And I have to say a big thank you, Bill, to you and Mark for creating Police Off the Cuff. Mark DeMeo is doing the other part of it, the After Hours with Angel. I wish a lot of success to them guys. Big thank you to you guys. Without you guys creating this, there would be no police off the cuff for me after hours, and, and, and there'd be no uh, real crime stories that we've been doing. We're hoping for bigger and better things. Thank you very much. And one last thank you to my wonderful wife, Millie, and my family. They put up with me. I get in this office. I put signs all over the house. Don't ring the bell. Be quiet, <laughs> all that. I drive them crazy from time to time because a lot of work goes into this. Billy, you know the work. I don't have to tell you. 100%. You than anybody. So a big thank you. Thank you to Duty Ron, and thank you to everybody. And last but not least, our subscribers. I got to thank That's them. Right. Without them, 100%. there would be no police off the cuff. So thank you, everybody. Keep subscribing. Keep us strong. We're going to do a lot of great things. We're going to work our asses off, and we're going to put out some good product on this podcast. I'm not going to let you read this because I don't think your voice will make it. But Joe Murray is an attorney at law. He's a big uh, supporter of this show. JMurray-Law.com is his website. Uh, those are his, his cell phone number on the screen. We talk about Joe all the time. He's got his own podcast called Allegedly Guilty with his uh, significant other, Angie Yang, who happens to be one of our moderators. <laughs> if you're looking for an attorney and you're in the New York area, Joe's your guy. Folks, just uh, I, I don't want Phil's. Uh, he he put a litany of the, the, the great goings on here in 20. 22 and he only did uh, 2021 and he only did half the year so we're gonna have a great 2022 we're gonna try to get some of the most amazing guests which we had some amazing guests in 2021 but we're looking forward to 2022 and uh you know the sky's the limit and thank all you guys for supporting us because without you uh i don't think we could do this show you know and uh princess mitch thank you uh ruth ann griffin jen low janine uh, goodwin Joe Murray, of course, Susan from New Jersey, Eve of Eden, Blondie 1025, the Pranzos. Thank you so much, Pete and Richella Pranzo, Good Lisa you. Jennings. You guys, happy new year, everyone. And, uh, you know, God bless CR Patrick. Thank you so much. She's a, she's a supporter of Coffee with Cannon. I did a Coffee with Cannon this morning, too. And um, 
We're having a lot of fun. If it's not obvious that we have fun doing this, then we're not doing our job because that's what no one's making a living at this, but we appreciate your support. But we, we, we like doing this. We're having a lot of fun doing this. It's, and it's, uh, it's a labor of love. I, I guess I should say that. It's a labor, it's a labor of, love. of love. One last thing. Happy New Year to everybody. I know 2021 was rough, but 2021 was good for me and Bill that we got our stuff together and we did some great stuff. Hoping for a better 2022. My voice is a little messed up. I'm just getting over this COVID thing. I <laughs> hope I wasn't too hoarse. I was coughing a little bit, but I apologize for that. But Happy New Year, everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. Love and respect and uh, our subscribers. Keep us going and uh, good things coming in 2022. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. One episode.